This episode is brought to you by Graybar. Graybar is a trusted and leading North American distributor of electrical, communications, data networking, and industrial products that supports projects of any industry. Construction, hospitals, industrial plants, schooling, and more. Yep, Graybar does that. Graybar operates with one clear mission, to serve as the vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. But here's what makes them different from the competition. Being able to effectively navigate supply chains to get products on-site and on-time is crucial these days. And Graybar's nationwide logistics network, with over 290 locations across the country, assists owners and professionals build and maintain the operations in their electrical, communications, and industrial world by providing them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. Yep, Graybar does that. To view more information on their services, head to graybar.com. That's G-R-A-Y-B-A-R.com. Yep, Graybar does that. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. As we speak, I'm in my 38th year of being self-employed, but when my business was bigger, I needed Indeed. Frankly, because I wasn't all that good at finding and hiring the right candidates. But by leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. So ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with the right candidates faster. And... Golf Smarter listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Golf Smarter. Please visit Indeed.com slash Golf Smarter right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That's Indeed.com slash Golf Smarter. Terms and conditions apply. Do you need to hire? You need Indeed. Golf Smarter Premium number 529 published on March one. 2016. Legendary golf instructor Harvey Pennock's Important Basics with Jim Hopkins of the Harvey Pennock Golf Academy. This is Golf Smarter Premium. Here's your host, Fred Green. Welcome to the Golf Smarter Podcast, Jim. Hey, Fred. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How you doing? Very good. Another beautiful day in Austin. So, you know, how can I go wrong? Yeah, right. You know, I just got back from Austin yesterday and had a phenomenal weekend. First time I'd been to Austin, and I'm so glad I got to do it for golf. Um, it's really a fun, fun city. I really had a great time. It's true. It's a lot of fun. A lot to do. Pretty much anything you want to do. But especially someone who likes golf, uh, it's it's just it's a wonderful place. Yeah. It is. And uh, on, on uh, Saturday, Friday night, we went out to Top Golf. I tell mm -hmm. you, I've never witnessed anything like that before. I'm so yeah. excited for that company to, to really expand because, you know, what, what was bowling in the 50s and 60s, right? I think this could take over. Uh, it would, it's just a great night out for, you know, whether you just do the family with the kids or you double date with some friends. Or, you know, you have some, what we did, we had four guys who ate dinner and we drank and we, you know, hit balls for hours. It was just, Top Golf's amazing. So I was really glad I got to see it in Austin. Yeah, it's a cool place. And you're right, but it's, it's, uh, my wife has been with some friends, but I've never been, you yeah. know, so she's been there and hit some golf balls and stuff, but I've never been over there. So it's great for, it's great for that type of golfer. And she really enjoyed it. She had yeah. a great time. They had, they had a lot of laughs. So well, that's you should go out there with your daughter. The three of you should go yeah. out there one night. You think you'd all have a lot of fun that, you know, they have targets that are 20 yards and 50 yards away. So for kids, it's great. And they have kids clubs. They have a whole set of us kids clubs that you can just check out. That's very great. cool. Yeah, we will. Yeah, anyway. we need to. But on uh, our first morning there, we got to spend some time with you at the Harvey Pennock Academy for an hour or so. And then we had a wonderful lunch. And then we stayed on the property and uh, played at the Wolf Dancer Golf Club. Uh, that's all part of the Hyatt Regency on the outskirts of Austin. 
That's a really impressive facility all the way across. It's something else, isn't it? Yeah, from the from the golf course, you know, where I spend all my time, the driving range over to the resort and all the things you can do with the pool area and the animals they have over there. It's just, and it's so secluded. You know, I tell you, you, you seem like you're going down a road that you're never going to get there once you turn off the main highway. Uh, but it does, feels like you're out there on your own. That's kind of what they want. They want to get you out there and just, you know, let's just stay here for a few days. What else would I do? Exactly. Not, not a bad place to have as an office. No, <laughs> it's true. It's not a bad place to have as an office. Um, and I really enjoyed the golf course. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging track. It's not it uh, bring balls. All I have to say yeah. is bring balls with you. Um, but let's yeah. talk about Harvey Pennock for a while. Uh, you know, spending some time with you. I've never, unfortunately, I've never read the Little Red Book. That's the name of it, right? Harvey Pennock. That's correct. And um, but you did give me some uh, notes that you give to your students uh, who go through the Harvey Pennock Academy. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the Harvey Pennock Academy. And then I want to talk about Harvey and your relationship with him. But tell me about sure. the, the history of the, the academy. Well, Harvey Pennock was a, uh, the pro at Austin Country Club from 1922 to 1972. So for 50 years, he was the head at Austin Country Club and renowned as an instructor. Never any plans of ever writing a book. Or anything. Uh, it's it, the book came out in '92, uh, and it's called Harvey Pennock's Little Red Book because that's what he had. He had a little red notebook that he kept notes in, and uh, only he and his son were the only ones that ever saw it. He never let anybody else read it. Never kept it very privately to himself. Uh, but it's late in life. He was very old. He uh, he was in his late 80s, 87, 86 when the when the book came out. Uh, so it was kind of one, kind of a legacy thing for him. He wanted to put out there. There are never any expectations of any great sales, you know, just local people they thought would buy. Uh, but it very quickly went to number one on the bestseller list. Is is still, we believe to this day, the best-selling sports book that's ever been written. Hmm. So it's first copy. So uh, really people took to it. Just his, uh, I think his nature came through in it and all that stuff. We were very lucky there. That came out in 92. I was working early uh, 1993 at Golfsmith. And the owners at Golfsmith were members at Austin Country Club, uh, knew Harvey Pinnock really well, knew his son Tinsley, who was the current, who was the current head pro at that time. Uh, and they were talking to him and saying, you know, have your dad ever thought about doing a golf academy? You know, it's doing that. And he said, no, not really. He said, but let's talk to him and see what he thinks. So they discussed it. And at first he was a little, uh, didn't really think it was something he wanted to do because he thought they just wanted to use his name. Uh, and he said, well, you know, I'll, I'll help you do it if you let me be involved in it. Oh, and they were like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's even better. Great. Yeah, exactly. They uh, just so, wanted to license yeah. his name. Yeah, perfect. So uh, he was there helping us set up what the program was. You know, he was uh, he was very adamant that we taught people individually, that it wasn't like just one big group and we're telling everybody to do the same thing. But the, the, uh, one point he made over and over again is he really didn't want students listening to what the other students were being taught, that if you were telling somebody something the other student shouldn't be trying to overhear what that is and incorporate it into their game because he didn't feel like that worked. So uh, he stressed that over and over again. But uh, learned about his drills, things like the swing in the bucket, uh, swing in a weed cutter, uh, slow motion drill, which are all in the book that we talked to students about. So on July the 15th, 1993, was the first day of the Harvey Pennock Golf Academy. Uh, Two people in the school that day. And very quickly by that fall, there was 20 or 30 people in, wow. in the academies uh, doing two or three a week. By that spring, there was 40 or 50 people in some of the schools that we were having. Uh, really from the end of 93 through early 95, Harvey passed away on April the 2nd, 1995. Uh, from that time, he was up there a couple of days a week. Uh, he was only supposed to be out for a couple hours for doctor's orders, but he was usually with us for at least a couple hours, sometimes more, because he loved it so much. Uh, and we loved having him there. And he would talk to the students. If anybody's watching this that was here at the time, we had a big room that would hold about 60 people called the Pinnock Room. Hmm. And he would go up on stage. There was a stage made up there for him. And he and his nurse would sit there, and she would uh, many times have to tell him what people were asking him because he oh. couldn't hear at all. His eyesight and mind were as sharp as ever, but his hearing was totally gone. Uh, so he couldn't hear hardly anything. And uh, he would talk for a little bit, talk for about 15, 20 minutes, and then open up to questions. And questions could go on for an hour or more, you know, just asking him things about uh, what he thought about anything golf-related. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's where it all started. And it went on for when at Golfsmith for 16 years at Golfsmith until I was fortunate enough to still be there and take it over. Yeah. So what were, were you an employee of Golfsmith at the time this whole started? And what were you doing there? Right. I was an employee there. I was, I was hired on to do a couple of different things. We usually were either working on phone sales because most of their business was phone sales. So sure. being a, being a golf professional, I had a little bit of credibility with people talking, making technical questions and stuff, but basically a lot of taking orders, just doing that. Something to do other than I had worked at golf courses before that, been a pro like so many others standing behind counters and doing that kind of stuff and giving the occasional lesson and, and had a background with Harvey Pinnock. I'd actually met him and knew him before that, coming to, to work there. Okay. I was very fortunate. My first boss in the business, uh, Mr. George Hannon, was a, a good friend of his and was actually the golf coach at the University of Texas when Kite and Crenshaw were there. So he had a Harvey Pinnock background and knew him. So met him through him. And so, yeah, I was one of the workers giving lessons. And I'd been there two or three months when the academy started. So I uh, was just one of the uh, one of the guys working out there in the academy all the time, six, seven days a week uh, mm. for years and worked my way up to where I was the director of the academy in uh, 2008, 2009. And then when Golfsmith decided to no longer do the academies, I was fortunate enough with my relationship with Tinsley Pinnock and the Pinnock family to be allowed to continue to do these schools. So in 2010, I started doing them on my own and trying to find places to have the academy at since we were no longer there at Golfsmith. And my goal to be at a place like Wolf Dancer and the Hyatt Regency, that was really my goal to be at a place like this. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to death. It's a perfect place for so what we do. What so is your relationship with the family so that you so were, that able, you to were able to start using the, start using, or was it with Golfsmith that you start Smith. using the name Sorry. Harvey Pennick again? Their relationship, again, was because members, and they'd known that. My relationship was it just, again, same thing. I knew uh, Tinsley Pinnock, Harvey's son, knew him really well. He I would see. come out to the academy occasionally and see us come out to Golfsmith and look around. So we got to know each other pretty well, talked quite a bit. Uh, so that was my main relationship with him, knowing him. Very, very nice, genuine man who's just just, just like his dad, just a slightly taller version of his dad is all, all he really is. He's mm. a, a great guy. Uh, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be able to, that he trusts me enough to let me continue to do the Academy. I, really, I feel very honored, very honored to do that. You mentioned Kite and Crenshaw. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a big deal for a lot of coaches is when they have, or actually for any product or any coach, sure. any service, when you have a PGA Tour player's name associated with, it kind of changes your life. Um, That's right, yeah. What, who, you know, was it Kite and Crenshaw, uh, the primary students that he had, or what other names have we heard about, and what kind of impact did Harvey have? And I'm right. asking multiple questions, and I apologize. Let's go one That's question okay. at a time. <laughs> and asked that, those questions before. He, uh, he had, you know, I had influence. He was the uh, golf coach at the University of Texas for 33 years. Uh, so he talked to golf teams there back in the early days. So there was actually a, a little bit of a story. The very first golf course that I ever worked at was called Morris Williams, uh, affectionately known as Mo Willie here in Austin, Texas, municipal golf course. And uh, it was named after Morris Williams Jr., who was one of Harvey's students. And he died in a plane crash and training crash in uh, the mid-50s, 1954, 1950, 22 years old. He was, was going to go from being in the military to the PGA Tour. He was a tremendous golfer. Uh, the famous sports writer Dan Jenkins played against him in some matches back in the old Southwest Conference and tells stories about just what a what a tremendous golfer he was. Uh, he was Ben Crenshaw back 60, 70 years ago, uh, back then, and he's very, very close to the Pinnock family. Uh, so that was one, but lots of other great players. There was, I think in the initial, there was for a while, there was only 12 members of the LPGA Hall of Fame, and Harvey had taught five or six of them. Uh, mm -hmm. Kathy Whitworth was a Harvey Pinnock. Uh, Mickey Wright took lessons from him, lots of Sandra Palmer. Uh, so he had a lot of influence back all the way through his, his teaching. Uh, Kite and Crenshaw are probably the, the best known because they were a little bit later in the more modern era where people really know those those guys. Crenshaw especially, he was had always been a Harvey Pinnock student, grew up here in Austin. Uh, Kite came a little later. Kite was actually already playing in 13 years old when he moved here. Uh, but they had played together, played all through college and stuff. So, yeah, that was uh, 
those were really the ones that, especially once the book came out, that really, uh, you know, people identified with with Crenshaw, and especially when, when Ben Crenshaw won the Masters a week after Harvey passed away back in 1995. Oh, that was that, wow. that was very, uh, that really uh, was very special for all of us here that he was able to do that. That was uh, really unbelievable. Wow, that's a great story. Uh, do you have any, um, tell me your own personal stories that you have uh, in your interactions with Harvey that's, that you love to tell? Well, there were so many. I was very fortunate uh, back being a fairly young golf instructor, late 20s, uh, when the academy started. The, the director of the golf academy at that time liked me. So when Harvey Pinnock would come and do his talks, he assigned me to sit at the back of the room to, A, learn from Harvey and listen to him talk, uh, but also to watch the door, you know, as people were coming and going so I could help people, you know, where they were supposed to go. So uh, one day I'm sitting there by the door, and Harvey's doing his normal talk, and I see a man walking back and forth, kind of looking, peeking, peeking his head in and kind of looking. So I went back and asked him, you know, sir, can I help you with something? He said, they told me at Austin Country Club that Harvey was here. I'm an old student of his. I just wanted to come say hello. Like, well, come on in. You know, just join us. Just have a seat. No problem. Just enjoy the enjoy the talk. It's like, okay. So he came in 30, 40 minutes later, Harvey's talk's over, and a lot of people would go up and shake his hand and take a picture with Harvey and a lot of that stuff. And he patiently waited till almost everybody was gone, until about three or four of us were there. And he walked up to Mr. Pinnock and kind of got down real low so he could see him and said, uh, Mr. Pinnock, I just wanted to come see you. Do you remember me? And he called the man by name and started asking him what he'd been doing and where he'd been. And tears just started rolling down this man's face. He just started crying right there in front of him. And they talked for, you know, just a few minutes and held hands kind of while they were talking. And then Mr. Pinnock left. And the guy's still standing there. And he goes, all the people this man's met through his life and that he remembered me that he remembered my name that we did. He said, I don't nobody. He said, I just, you know, some, I was a pretty good golfer, but you know, I've gone on to other different things. We really have thought no one's ever said it, but we really think that he probably had a photographic memory because some of the stories we've heard about just that he just never really forgot anybody. If you, if you came and took a lesson from him, he knew he, he remembered you when he come back and he'd remember things about you when you, uh, when you came up there. But, uh, he was always, like I said, when he would do the talks, he loved when the question and answer time would come. That's really when he'd light up, when he'd really start to do that. So uh, one time, an older gentleman stands up, probably in his 70s. You know, Harvey's almost 90 at this time. man stands up in his 70s and says, you know, Mr. Pinnock, I, I'm getting a little older. I'm starting to lose some distance. I wonder if you have any tips for me to, to get a little more distance out of the game. <laughs> Classic. Said, well, you know, how old are you, sir? And he said, you know, said his age. And, he goes, well, you know, sometimes you just got to hold on to what you got. <laughs> and he said, and then everybody laughed and he told him, he goes, well, you know, but do you walk when you play golf? No, sir. Do you, you know, do you, are you working out at all? No, sir. Well, you might think about, you know, keeping yourself in better shape. He said, you know, that's something we do as we get older. Let's, you know, lose some of our leg strength and stuff. Let's, let's get out there and, and stay active. Uh, he was also asked one time, a guy asked him, what was the worst thing he ever saw students do? He said, and Mr. Penn didn't want to answer the question. He always was positive. He never wanted to talk negative about anything. And they, so he didn't even want to answer it. And the guy kind of pestered him. He said, I'm just curious. What do you see students do that's just bad? That just they've been told to do. And he sat there and literally, little, you know, when you say someone sat there for a minute and thought, he literally sat there for about a minute and didn't say anything. Just kind of looked at the ground. He finally goes, well... He said, I guess it's it's not just one, it's two. He said, I, I see way too many people coming to lessons thinking they need to keep their head down and their left arm straight. And those are the two worst things you can try to do. And the whole crowd just went totally silent. He said, but Mr. Pinnock, that's what we've heard. He goes, yeah, I know. He said, but that's not usually from golf instructors very much. That's usually from your buddies or something like that. He said, that's not really a requirement. He said, if you watch real close to good golfers, most good players, their head move a little bit and their back swing and their arms will bend a little bit. They don't try. The key word there that he always said is try. You don't try to keep them straight. If your head stays pretty still, if your arm stays kind of straight, great. But you should be trying to hit the golf ball. You should be trying to keep your mind clear. You should be trying to have good posture and good. You should be trying to do those things. Not that. If that happens, great. But it's just part of the swing. 
And that's really what he tried to stress to so many of his students was that is that, you know, let's get our mind on what's important here. Let's let's focus on reality. Everybody's a little bit different. We had uh, we have uh, I think there were nine sequence photographs on our wall there at the Pinnock Academy. They had about eight pictures in them. It was great golfers like Fred Couples and Lee Trevino and obviously Tom and Ben Kite. And it was about nine sequences of their of their swings. So there was a top of the swing on all. And I used to go tell people, I said, for those who really thought they need to keep their arms straight, I'd say, go look at those pictures. And if you look real close, come back and tell me how many of them have their arms straight and how many of their arm bent. And it was pretty much a consensus that there were four of them had their arms straight, four had their arm bent, and one people would kind of argue about whether it was bent or straight. Hmm. So I said, so what is, what should you do? What's the right thing? What, what, you know, there's, these are all champion golfers who win all over the place and there's no consensus that the any of them do the same thing. So why are we worried about that? You know, let's, let's worry about something that might be important to you. And that was really a big key for his golf instruction was, is let's, let's get down to business. Let's get down to the, to the, to the fundamentals of what we really need to do and how you choose to swing the golf club. Well, it's, that's, that's up to you. That's physically, you may do it differently. Uh, than uh, than someone else did, and that's why he was so good with like Ben and Tom. They were totally different, totally different people, totally different minds, totally different way they work. But he worked great with both of them, mm-hmm. and uh, ma- and helped to make both of them uh, champion golfers. What's the best, piece, the best of piece of advice you've ever received uh, uh, with from Harvey? From Harvey, as, you know, as an instructor, what's as the best? Instructor. Yeah, what's the best piece of advice that you ever received from Harvey? From Harvey to be as to, to just from an instructional standpoint of, mm-hmm. of how to how to be an instructor. Yes. The best thing I learned from him, you know, he never talked to me directly. I was always doing. But the thing I learned from him more than anything else was really two things is, is they listen very closely to your students when they're talking to you. Listen what, to what they're telling you about what's going on and to not be afraid to say, I don't know. Wow. I don't know. I heard him say that all the time. I don't know. They'd ask him a question and he'd. He'd say, I, I have to think about that a little bit. I'm not sure. And that's, you don't, you don't, you don't, unfortunately, I think there's too many times, especially as golf instructors, we feel like we have to have all the answers. Right. You know, we've, we've got to be right on it. And it's, that's it's what we're some, paying you for. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there is no answer. Yeah. Uh, my, my first boss I told you about, George Hannon, used to tell me I was very young. He said, if you find yourself talking a lot during a golf lesson, you're given a bad lesson. Hmm. I think he meant just that, really, if you're saying a lot of stuff, telling people to do things, you should spend more time just watching and listening and learning a lot about what that person's doing so you can you can help them, help them in what they're doing. That's, that's, that's really what Hart was so good about. He was one of the first instructors, maybe the first instructor, to ever really interview his students before he went out and gave them a lesson. You know, mm-hmm. he always wanted to come have you sit down and, you know, let's have a let's have a glass of tea and talk a little bit about not just golf, but How's business going? How's your life? He wanted to know where you were. He really did. He wanted to know all about you, and he felt that helped him teach you a little bit better. So it's uh, it's very uh, very good information. It's something we try to do definitely in the academy, even in a group setting. We try to get our know to know our. A lot of the first morning, that's it, is us trying to get to know you before we can teach you. Sure, sure. So as a golfer, mm-hmm. what was the best advice you'd ever heard come out of Harvey? He actually changed my grip without knowing it that he did. I was listening to him do a talk. He would almost every time he would do a discussion about there, he would start off by talking about the grip. And at uh, at some point in there, he'd start talking about the, uh, the the different ways, whether you're an overlapper, you know, he'd hold his hands up like that. Do you, do you overlap your fingers? Do you interlock? Are you an interlocker? Do you put, do you do 10 fingers? You know, which one fits your best? So there is no one way to do it. Whatever fits best. You know, there's, Jack Nicholas and Gene Saracen and Tom Kite and Tiger Woods. After that, I'm interlock their fingers together. And usually people with smaller hands, that works better, so you do that. And then overlapping, that's more that's more common. Well, really uncommon is 10-finger grip. You don't see many people do that. But a lot of people who are baseball players, 10-finger uh, yep. grip feels just better to them. Mm. Uh, people with really small hands, one of the best players that I ever taught was uh, had really tiny little hands. And he was a low, single, very low single-digit handicapper, and we moved him from an overlap into a ten-finger grip. And it, he said it helped him get about ten extra yards, you know, out of his swing. So, just a very simple change. But he was doing that, and he went to the overlapping, and he said the overlapping grip, where you kind of wrap the pinky around, 
you know, the knuckle like that. And I'm doing it as he's talking. I'm doing it back there. I'm just doing all the different grips, just kind of mimicking what he's doing. He said, or you can do, or you just put it right on top like that. And I'm like, hmm, I've never put mine on top like that before. And as soon as I did it, it's almost like my hand fell into a slot, almost like it just fell in. It almost clicked audibly mm-hmm. <laughs> where it was just, oh, I couldn't wait to get outside and start hitting some golf balls. Sure. I had up until that time, I always fought my right hand being a little weak just getting to be able to work itself on top of the club just a little bit. And as soon as I did that, it almost just fell right into position right underneath it. And ever since it felt a little awkward at first, like any grip change will do. But within two months, I was hitting a little draw versus a fade and have pretty much always done that from now on, just with that little, just with that slight little change of, so it really taught me two things. A, it was personal, my own grip change, but also how just that tiny little something that you do different can make a huge difference. In, in someone's swing. It doesn't have to be some big change. It can be a, a very small thing. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, um, so let's, let's let's go into your your red book yes, that you, you give out. Uh, tell me, like, this is a compilation of what? So you give these to each of your students who come to the Harvey Pinnock Academy. Yes. Harvey wrote four books. He wrote The Little Red Book. Mm-hmm. He wrote the, we, we name them by color because they all have different colors. So okay. the, the other three all have names. There's the green book, which is, uh, if I believe the official title is, and if you play golf, you're my friend. Uh, there's the yellow book, the beige book, which was, was lessons in teaching for women. Okay. And there was the blue book. Uh, I believe it's called the game for a lifetime, which was considered more for uh, uh, advanced players. Was kind of, that one was actually completed after he passed away. That was completed uh, in uh, late 95, early 96. Like I said, he passed away April 2nd, 95. Uh, All four great books, but his books are not formatted like most golf books. In other words, there's not a putting section, a chipping section, a a different thing. It's spread out all through the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, As an instructor, that made it hard to really find things that you wanted to, you know, if there was a specific thing you wanted to talk about or something you remembered reading, it was really hard to find. So I put that book together actually for myself back probably in the late late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, just went through all four of the books and kind of just laid out each each thing by, as a student told me, it's kind of the cliff notes of Harvey's books. Mm-hmm. Just laid them out a little more in the format. And then we used it as a training manual, manual for new instructors. New instructor would come in who didn't really have, uh, let's say you were coming to teach with us got a good swing. You can come teach with us. Uh, needed to learn a little more about Harvey. Well, we give you that and all four of Harvey's books. So you could use it as a study guide. and read it. Well, when I took over the Academy, I decided I was going to cut it down and make a little shorter version. I'm like, nah, I'll just give it to the students like it is. It's only about 30 pages or so, uh, uh fairly concise. I'm like, I'll let the students have it. They can, they can read it and, and use whatever resources in there. If they want to really research it, great. They can really take the books and really read through it. If they want to just read it as information. It'll, it'll really remind them of what they learned while they were at the Academy. Uh, so it's just that it's just a resource, uh, for, uh, for learning and, and instruction. I still, I still use it. I hear from other instructors who have been at the Academy and they say, they say they still use it. So, uh, that's good. That makes me feel good if it helps people learn a little more about this game. And I love the fact love that you put references in it so it can ter- take you directly to the page section uh, from uh, Harvey's book. Right. Let's go Let's right. Go. Uh, and to me, this was, you know, I love how you put Harvey believed that bullet point, bullet point, bullet mm-hmm. point, bullet point. Um, and you open with. Uh, with the basics that nine out of 10 problems with the swing begin with the grip or the stance. Correct. Let's start with the grip. Okay. Yes. And the problems that everyone's blaming on lifting their head right. on. There's so many things that people blame uh, nuances that people will blame on a bad shot, not right. about their game. They blame bad shots, mm-hmm. but you're saying start with your grip. You know, I don't think there's there's very, very small minority of golfers that have ever come through the academy that we haven't changed their grip in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most for most average golfers, pretty dramatically sometimes from, from what it would be. 
Uh, I had a gentleman in the academy this this weekend, 71 year old gentleman, and that was he, he needed a little bit of just a little bit of change in his left hand grip. Really, the the reason for that is the especially we'll start with we'll we'll speak as right handed golfers. <clears throat> with your uh, left hand on the club, there really is a position that that le left hand should be in for every person. Now, maybe slightly different. And it really relates to how your arm hangs. That's the way Harvey talked about it. Your arm hangs at a certain angle. You just let your arm, we have all students do this. Just let your arm hang at your side in its normal position. Whatever position that hand is in at that time, we need to learn how to place our hand on the club that way. Harvey always used that word. We don't grip it. We don't hold it. We place our hand on the club. So we place it right there. And really what we're trying to do is make sure we get our wrist and the pad of our hand up on top of the club so you can support it. We hear a lot of times, uh, you hear the terms a weak grip or a strong grip. Right. So-and-so's got a weak grip or strong grip. That's really just talking about what kind of leverage control you have over the club. And I show that to students. I'll have them hold the club up, and if they turn their hand just slightly underneath a little bit and hold the club up, it'll feel real heavy. If they get their hand more up on top of the club, all of a sudden they'll feel like, oh, wow, that feels light. I feel like I can use that. I'm like, well, yeah, that's called, that's why it feels stronger. It has nothing to do with I hit it left, I hit it right, I hook it, I slice it. That, that doesn't, that's, you can do either one. Uh, but it's just about control. Once you have control of it with your left hand, then we're just trying to place the right hand on there and it's in a natural position that goes with that. And as most people have heard, we've heard about the V's formed by the thumb and the left mm -hmm. hand that point towards the right shoulder. Most people, they just generally point there. We're not trying to point them there. That's just where they point when you've placed your hand on the club properly. It's it's not a, you just you just do it. We talk about, you'll hear instructors talk, and Harvey talked about it too, about seeing two or three knuckles on the back of your left hand, and that means you've got a stronger grip. Harvey said he didn't like to see people being knuckle counters, you know, and <laughs> staring at the back of their hand, which is true, because, you know, trying to look, you can look down and see all of them. Yeah, I see all four. You know, they're all, they're all there. Uh, it's more about just getting that, that placement on. So we spend a lot of time with that. For some students, that can be miraculous. It really can. They, they can all of a sudden uh, they can all of a sudden control the club. They can, they can swing it with a little bit of authority. Uh, they can get both some distance and some accuracy out of what they're trying to do, especially ladies, especially ladies. If, if a lady has a poor grip, they really almost can't swing the club with any speed. Just 99% of ladies just don't have the hand and arm strength that the average man does, so they can't generate that type of that type of force. Their swing and the rhythm of their swing a lot of times is much better than a lot of guys, but just the strength to it is not what it should be. Uh, so that's where we have to begin and getting every, everybody to get more comfortable. And initially that's that feels if if you've done it for a while the wrong way. Uh, you if you'll if you'll remember the little clinic I did for you guys, I didn't change any of your grips. I know. At all. Saw a couple of that. Just because in that time frame with y'all going out to play, it probably would not have been beneficial at all. It would have just given you a, a thing to think about that would have been too much. Well, to yeah, and, and doing a clinic right before a round of golf was probably not a great idea. Um, but timing as it was, uh, I can tell you, though, that uh, every one of us walked away with at least one nugget that we commented on during our round going, boy, this really is making a difference. So, Well, I'm very glad. Thank you for that. I'm glad to hear that. And that's Absolutely. all, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. In a, in a, in a golf lesson. Well, just an example. I told you I had a gentleman this weekend I was working with and it yeah. was just, it was just the two of us. Um, I waited till it was either late on the first day to early than the second day before I changed his grip just because it was okay. And he had some other problems like posture and setup that were not nearly as good. Uh, usually in an academy, we don't wait that long. We do it first morning, get it out of the way. Let's, let's, as, as we always say, if we, if you get real comfortable with your grip on the first day and you don't really learn anything else, then you had a good day. Uh, if you learned a bunch of stuff and your grip still is messed up, you're going to, you're going to struggle. You're going to yeah. really struggle to, yeah. to accomplish anything. So I found uh, this to be a very powerful line without a doubt. The stronger grip is better for the average golfer. Few golfers are strong enough or dedicated enough to play with their V's pointed to their noses. However, if the ball is flying well, there's no need to change the grip. A strong grip can be overdone. But I think it's uh, really fascinating um, because I just went to a strong grip in the last, in the last few months. 
uh, right. end of last year. Uh, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my golfing life, I'm hitting a draw consistently. Right. I remember you saying that, right, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, because the uh, instructor I was working with that day put me on a stronger grip. I brought my right hand down, rotated it underneath a little bit. Right. But I know there's times where I'm feeling like I've gone too far. Mm-hmm. So what is yeah. the proper placement for a strong grip? Where's the proper placement for your hand, your right hand? Right. Well, it, uh, it's hard to say exactly because it can vary. Sure, okay. Really can. Generally speaking, you want, your, uh, you want the lifeline. Oh, my God. Lifeline, that's that one right there. That's, Harvey said the lifeline. God put the lifeline in your palm of your right hand because that's where your left thumb goes in a good grip. So God was looking out for us when he did that. Because <laughs> that's right where they go together. Most people don't get that that thumb and hand and really connected where it's supposed to be. They'll get their right hand and twist it over on top a little bit too far. That's probably where you had yours. And, mm-hmm. there. and so it needs to slide and fit just a little more in there. So when the so really so the left hand can control the right hand a little bit more. That's the problem a lot of times with us right-handed golfers. If the left hand gets weak, the right hand takes over. Uh that doesn't mean we're going to hook it. It just means it's going to maybe it may throw the club hmm. outside and may do it may do other things. It's very hard unless your unless your grip is a little bit strong to get the club working from the inside coming down through it. So that's really where where that's so important that we get that grip on there. But yeah, it can you know where you see people get it stronger is especially people who interlock their fingers together when they you know interlock them. They'll really go in too deep and really drive that hand in there, and now they're working that hand too far underneath. They really shouldn't be locked together. They should be laced a little bit together. That's one of the three grips that can be done really improperly sometimes. They'll really jam those fingers together, and now I've, now my right hand is gone underneath the club, kind of almost like they're, they're like a motorcycle, revving it underneath it instead of just placing it right against the thumb. And... Uh, Ben Hogan even said this is his his grip tended to get a little bit weak early later in his life, especially. But he said the most important part of the grip he felt like was was right there, that knuckle of his of his right hand. And it was right behind the club. So he felt like it was right behind it and supported it. So he went to hit it. He felt like it was just there's my palm nice and flat. There's the club face. I can control the club. Uh, but most people, believe it or not, most people, once they're left, even those who have a fairly weak grip with their left hand, most people, their right hand, if they're naturally right-handed, will be pretty close. They, they, they'll mm-hmm. get okay with that. Uh, it just need, it's Sometimes it'll start to move and get too strong when the left hand moves, and then they'll turn it under under a little bit farther. Um, where you see a lot of problems, too, with the right hand is, is they'll take their right thumb and kind of wrap it around the club instead of having the thumb either set right on top of the, club, the, the grip or a little off to the side. You don't want a big gap. You don't want to make a big gap between your thumb and forefinger right there and reach around, or it makes the hand really weak. You're just grabbing hold of it with your fingers. Right. You wouldn't pull the pencil that way. You wouldn't You wouldn't cast a, a fishing pole that way. You would put your thumb right on top so you could control where it went. Same thing with a golf grip. You've got to hold it right there. You don't wrap your thumb around like that. Uh, for everybody listening to the audio version of this podcast, I would highly advise you to go to Golf Smarter TV so you can see exactly what Jim is talking Can't about. Can't do it without seeing what, yeah, you got Yeah, it. you know, he's, he's showing, I'm looking at it, I'm watching, and it's making total sense to me. So if you're a little baffled by it, uh, we will have this interview posted up on Golf Smarter TV so you can watch it from start to finish. Uh, so we go from grip to stance to alignment. Uh, there's just, you know... I guess that's the the PGA, right? Position, grip, and alignment. Um, And uh, I don't know how we can talk about all this uh, because I would love to go through this entire notebook of content with you. Tell me, but we don't have time for that today. So uh, tell me, how long is uh, the the academy that you you conduct? Um, What can people sign up for? Oh, okay. Uh, usually two or three days. I've gotten to where we schedule them, mostly Friday, Saturday, Sundays, usually mm-hmm. just because that's most convenient to uh, to what most people can do. So, uh, but mostly Friday, Saturday, and Sundays, they can uh, they can sign up really for any of those. If they want to do only two days, a lot of people only do maybe Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can even do the weekend if they if they want to do that. Uh, but pretty much it's a full day program. Each one we'll start at eight o'clock each morning, uh, go till mid afternoon. 
It's another benefit of being at a great course like Wolf Dancer. If they want to go play a few holes after that, I encourage them to play as few as possible so they don't wear themselves out and, and not have any energy left for the rest of the rest of the school. Hmm. Uh, first two days are like that, starting early in the morning, going to mid-afternoon. We're usually done around lunchtime on the third day just because everybody's tired and want to eat either in their day and go yeah. play golf afternoon, or maybe they want to go home uh, after that on the last day. Yeah, or go to the swimming pool over at the resort. There's a spa across the street. From yeah, us that, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've had lots of students say, I need a massage. I'm like, well, there they are now. Right? <laughs> go down there. I'm not doing it. So are we talking about, um, like, so you do a morning session, you have lunch, and if you're not going out to the golf course, you're coming back for a couple more hours? Right. So we'll it's like, what, eight hours of instruction a day? Oh, maybe closer to probably six, you know, during wow. the day. That's a yeah. lot of instruction. A lot of instruction. We we definitely one of the things we stress those students is we're gonna pay we're gonna don't get in a hurry. We're gonna we're gonna go at a good pace. We're gonna keep you uh, if we see people hitting too many balls, it's uh, they don't we'd say you don't get a quantity discount if you hit <laughs> balls in the school. Uh, but we in order to get everything done, because we cover, you know, putting, chipping, pitching, bunker play, sure. you know, full swing driver. We do do a, a little bit of everything. Plus, on the third day is really when we go out on the golf course for a little while with the students and do some on-course uh, instruction, strategy. What do we do from this particular shot? Fairway bunkers, uneven lies, uh, which, as you probably noticed at Wolf Dancer, that's pretty much every lie at Wolf Dancer, <laughs> uneven lie. Yeah, I noticed that. that is not... Pretty much everywhere. Uh, but yeah, it's a full, it's a full three days. I've yet to see anybody. Uh, I always offer at the, after lunch on the third day, I offer to everybody, you know, if y'all want to go out and do some more, we'll do it. And almost across the board, everybody goes, no, that's, that's, that's plenty. Yeah. I'm but what about the follow-up? Because I'm sure when people leave and this happens, I would think across the board on golf academies, when you spend a couple of days, you're walking away either feeling phenomenal. Okay. I got it. My game is really going to change or you're overwhelmed with the amount of information that you have and you don't know if you'll ever be able to do anything with it. And then you go home uh, and you don't practice. You get back mm -hmm. to your life and you're, you know, and you wait a week or two and you haven't had a chance to go out to the driving range. Cause you're thinking, why do I need to go to the driving range? I just spent three days in a school. I got it. And you go out there and it just, it's a, it's gone. Right. It's all gone. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you help that? What do you do about that to, you know where I'm going with this? I do know exactly where you're going with okay, it. And that yeah. is one of the, that is one of the challenges because there's really, there's really nothing we really can do. It is up to you. you yeah. know? And we stress that to people when they're there. First of all, we try to fight that overwhelmed thing when they're there. We want to make sure I uh, tell all the students before they leave, uh, I really want you to feel like that you really understand it and that you've got what you need to do. And that we, you'll find that we've just repeated things over and over again, more often than giving sure. you anything, anything new. Uh, but as Harvey said in the very the very first uh, chapter of the Little Red Book, he said lessons are not to take the place of practice, but to make practice worthwhile. So I tell students, if you're not going to go practice, you're not going to get any better. This is it's not about you. I don't have a magic wand. There's no fairy dust I sprinkle on you that makes you better. Uh, it will work just as well back in San Francisco as it does in Austin, Texas, if you practice these things. Sure. You got to get out. We also work on tools to practice. You know, I, I was talking to the gentleman. Um, that was at the school this weekend. He said, he's still working. He's an older gentleman, but still working, got busy schedule. I said, you know, a good thing for you to do, we're working on a better grip. We're working on a process of getting set up in a little better posture. I said, go out in the backyard for 10 or 15 minutes as lunch is, as dinner's cooking, you know, and go out and just place your hands on that new club, go through the procedure, take you a nice smooth golf swing, you know, feeling nice and in balance. Do that for a few minutes. That's great practice. That's better practice than hitting 200 golf balls that you just whacking them out in the field. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as the as the comedian Stephen Wright said, there's a fine line between fishing and standing on the shore like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> there's a fine line between practicing and just whacking balls into a field like an idiot, not knowing what you're doing. And we've got to do that practice thing. And if you know how to practice, that's that's one of the things we really focus a lot on at the academy is how do we practice. What can I do to practice? Because uh, almost almost everybody that comes to the academy will say, "I'm busy. I don't get time to practice very much." You know, they're they're not 
they're serious about golf, but they, they're not like a pro that's going to go out and practice for two hours a day and do that. Occasionally you get that, but so that's something you have to really keep in mind. Sure. I gave you one of the books that we give students. The other book we give them is a small little notebook to take notes. Oh, and that's extremely important. We tell them, I said, we want to see you. We know, we know we're doing our job and we're getting through to you when we see you over there taking some notes about what you've learned. Cause then you're going to take that home with you. You're going to, you're going to get that. Sure. Sure. And say and many what times, kind of follow up? I mean, like if I were to call you and say, hey, I'm, you know, I, I had it in class. Um, it was feeling great. I've kind of lost it now. Can I send you something, uh, some video or something? Uh, can I call you? What can I get some follow up with you? Absolutely. Any of those things. Okay. Email with the video that we use now. I do most of the video. Uh, we haven't talked about this, but you know Harvey Pinnock was not a definitely not a tech guy. He didn't. He was he was, he, he was gone before tech really took off he on that. Before that really took over, but he didn't. He would. There's things about tech now that would really frustrate him is that he didn't like people videotaping themselves and watching their own swing without knowledge of what they were looking at. Sure. Makes total uh, sense. You're going to see something and change something. What you're going to do end up is you're going to end up trying to change results and not causes. You're going to see the result of the problem instead of knowing what the cause is. Sure. So he was he was very. There's a story about Tom Kite when he was a kid brought him back some uh, pictures that had been taken at him at a golf camp. He the golf camp they taken pictures of his swing and Harvey took them from him and locked locked them in his desk and wouldn't let him have it. He said, "Yeah, that's cool. That's great. No, we don't need to look at that." <laughs> he didn't want him looking at it. <laughs> so, uh, but in this day and age with my phone, you know, here I, iPhone, there's a great app that I use to video with. It's incredible, you know, how clear it can be. Uh, and you have the ability to send me videos back. I'm going to sit down tomorrow and actually uh, review the videos I did of the gentleman that was here this weekend and write some notes in there about some things that he needs to keep in mind. So he'll have that. Uh, but it's also he could videotape himself and, and send it back to me. I encourage students to do that. That's always always neat to get another, another video. Uh, but a phone call. Phone calls, emails, any of that stuff is, uh, is wonderful. I don't, I don't think I get enough of them. I would like to get more of that for my students sure, to, uh, sure. to get a little more of that feedback and even tell me if you're, if you're struggling and having a bad time, it's, you're not going to hurt my feelings and call me and tell me you're struggling a little bit. It's, it's, that's part of it. I'd be glad to point you in the right direction and do what we can. And maybe, uh, as far as follow up, and I thought you were kind of going with this too. We have lots of students that come back either yeah. sometimes yearly, sometimes every two or three years. That's nice. That's they just nice. come back. They just enjoy doing it. And it's it's amazing. A lot of times that second or third visit is when it really starts to click. It's when it really starts to they oh, okay, now I'm now I I thought I had it, but I just kind of thought I had it. I didn't really have it. <laughs> I, I really I said, you know, I know you probably told me that before, but but uh, now I really have it. So so it's uh that's that's really good. Yeah, in this day and age of technology, it's pretty easy to stay in touch. Well, if well, I can tease I can this tease just, a this touch, just a touch, uh, I've been uh, having communications with some people who are developing a new product, product called Live View Live Golf, Golf that will allow, allow it's a little camera a little that they can set up and uh, if you put the camera behind you, you can have your phone or your iPad down in front of you while you're setting up and you'll be able to see your swing live. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, they're developing this and it's a very exciting product and we're going to get them on the show. Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure, but I know they're working on it. Um, <laughs> and once they have this thing released to the public, we'll be one of the first people to, to talk about it. I'm very excited about that. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, how do people get in touch with you so they can come down to Wolf Dancer and go to the Hyatt Regency and hang out for a long weekend and bring the family so they can be uh, uh, they can be distracted while you're taking your golf school? <laughs> That's right. Then spend all day at the spa while yeah. dad's out there. Play with the animals, um, go for a bike ride. It's such a huge yeah. property, too. You'd really yeah. never have to leave the property, although Austin is so much fun. You don't have to leave the property. You can spend an entire weekend at the uh, Hyatt Regency Lost Pines. You absolutely can. Uh, yeah, best way to get a hold of me is uh, the website, uh, harveypinnockgolfacademy.com, just all spelled out. Uh, and then it's got my phone number on there. You want me to give a phone number? If you'd like, go ahead. That's the, that's the best one, which is 512-547-8106. And just leave a message or someone will answer the phone and we'll set it up. We've got school scheduled. Uh, I think it's on the website. I just did it recently through June. 
I think, but the academies will go on all year. Yeah. So I just, well, that's I another beautiful thing about Austin is you got 12 month a year golf. We can do them. You know, I don't, I, we, this February would have been the absolute greatest time. I should have had 50 students mm. <laughs> all February because the weather's just been perfect every weekend, which Amazing. is unusual, but uh, it's usually, it's usually this way more in April. Yeah. When we get that. But yeah. now's the time. It's, this is when we start to get busy. April, May, June are really start to get a little warmer, but get some, uh, some great times down here and mm. come enjoy Austin, Texas and the beautiful Hyatt Resort. Learn well, a little golf. I know that uh, you can Google this, obviously, but Pennick is P as in Peter, E N I C K. Right. Only one is. Yeah. And All it right. can be Pennick or Pennick. Uh, the family members actually say it both ways Pennick or Pennick. I'm not even going there. Yeah. So, Jim Hopkins, <laughs> <laughs> Director of Instruction at the Harvey Pennick yeah. Golf Academy. Uh, thanks so much for your generosity, your time, and for coming on the show. And uh, best of luck. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed spending the time with you. And hope to see you again. Well, I did too. Thank you. And if you ever just want to go through that book, page by page, I'm I'm open for it. I'd be glad to talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jim. Uh, as much fun as it was, and the fact that each of us okay. walked away good? with at least one really valuable nugget. It's really not a great idea to take a lesson right before a round. No matter if you're in the Austin area or planning to go, and Austin gets multiple thumbs up for golf, food, entertainment, and overall vibe, get in touch with Jim at HarveyPanicGolfAcademy.com. Oh, I forgot to mention that we recorded this on Skype instead of Blab this week, and the video didn't work. So unfortunately, it's only audio this week. But my sense is that's where you most most golf smarter listeners are doing the audio because they have other things to do. But still, there are a lot of people watching the videos and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, hey, you know, I'd really like to know more about you and what you like and don't like about this podcast content the videos, our website, you know, everything. So uh, please, the survey that we have, it provides me with some very important information about what you want to hear more and less of. So if you could please go to golfsmarter.com right now, click on the survey icon to fill out our short multiple choice listener survey. While you're there, you can watch more of our videos, listen to past episodes, check out our Facebook and Twitter feeds. It's really, a, we've created, and I'm very proud of what we've done. Thank you, Paul. Uh, it's a one-stop shop for all your Golf Smarter content. Lastly, follow at Golf Smarter on both Twitter and Blab for announcements for our next Blab recording so that you can join in that conversation. Now, you know, are you interested in taking Jim up on his offer to go over the Harvey Pennick Cliff Notes page by page? If so, send me a note by clicking on the Hey Fred button at GolfSmarter.com. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And remember, Golf Smarter listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash GolfSmarter. Please visit Indeed.com slash GolfSmarter right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed here. That's Indeed.com slash GolfSmarter. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.